I would like to think that I give pretty decent gifts. Um, and by far, the gift that's required the most thought, the most planning, and the most energy was Charmaine's engagement ring. Now, some people don't think of that as a gift necessarily. You might think of it as a token or a symbol of love and lifelong commitment. I think it's both, okay? Now, oftentimes, the gifts you give communicate your feelings about someone. In my case, I wanted to communicate uh, to Charmaine that I loved her and that I wanted to spend the rest of my life laying down my life for her. That happened five years ago today. Today, actually, it happened five years ago. <laughs> so now, as a matter of fact, 45 years ago, on this very same day, uh, Charmaine's parents got married in Guyana, so that makes today their 45th anniversary. Now, if you're following this closely, <laughs> that means that the same day that Charmaine said yes to my proposal is the same day that her parents said yes to each other at the altar. Coincidence? Of course not. Um, now, why is that? It's because the ring, my gift to her, and all of the circumstances surrounding my giving it to her spoke not only to how I felt about her, but to the reality of who she was and still is in my eyes. That's precious. So the gifts we give often speak to our perspective of the recipient. So please open your Bibles to Matthew 2. Uh, verses 1 to 16. Now, since we're in the middle of the Advent season, uh, all of this gift talk is re very relevant for a lot of us now. Christmas is only, what, 19 days away, right? And the passage that we'll be looking at is a very familiar story that is usually read around this time of year. And there are three gifts presented to Jesus in this story. And they are gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, although our focus will be verses 10 to uh, 11, uh, we'll read from verses 1 just to get the context together. All right, so just start reading from verse 1, Matthew 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Verse 5. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose 
went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt, I called my son. Verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would bless our time in the word today. Lord, I am but a vessel. I pray that you speak to me, that I speak your word uh, well, properly, and clearly so that we can all uh, benefit from this time. I pray that you open up the ears, the hearts, and the minds of all of us here, and that your name is glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's take a look at these gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, one at a time to learn what significance they have in regards to Jesus. So let's take a look at verses 10 and 11 again. They say, when, the star, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So notice what the wise men did as soon as they got into the house. They fell down and worshipped him. Now, because of the way this scene is depicted in storybooks and nativity scenes and things like that, we are often led to believe that there were just three wise men there. No, that's far from the truth. There were several magi there. And they had a huge caravan of people and animals and things. And so they took this trip, which could have been, people estimated, it could have been a thousand miles. So they took this very long trip. Uh, and when they finally get to Jesus, the first thing they do, the first thing they do is they fall down and they worship him. Before they bring him anything, before they do anything for him, their acknowledgement of who he is drives them to their knees and faces in worship of him. They have their priorities in order. The first lesson here is that a heart of worship must precede our good works. If the Magi follow the star to Bethlehem to simply give these gifts, which is a very good thing, but fail to fall down and worship Jesus, 
they would have completely missed the mark. They would have completely missed the point. So now that we understand that their hearts are aligned Christward toward Christ, let's look at the first gift that is mentioned, and that's gold. Now, most of us own at least one item of gold, right? So it might be a ring, an earring, a watch, a necklace. Now, Charmaine's ring looks silver, but it's actually white gold, okay? So God is very, gold is very accessible now, but that wasn't the case in biblical times. Now, you have to be a rich person to own any item of gold. As a matter of fact, the fact that the wise men brought these gifts to Jesus, it tells us that they probably had a good amount of money. Now, they may have even been royalty of some kind. And gold and other expensive jewels among royals was and still is a very common thing. And we see a bunch of examples of this in scripture. When Pharaoh places Joseph as second in command in Egypt, he does this in Genesis 41, verse 42. It says, then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. He gives him a ring, which is most likely made of gold, and he puts a gold chain around his neck. This is like Pharaoh saying, Joseph, welcome to the royal family. Now, if we come further up into the Old Testament, into 1 Kings uh, chapter 10, it talks about King Solomon in this way. In verse 21, it says, all King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. Now, because of Solomon's wisdom, people from all over the world would come to hear from him. And when they came, it says that in verse 25 of chapter 10, every one of them brought his present articles of silver and gold. So the wise men, this is the point here, the wise men gifted Jesus with gold because of his royalty. The wise men gifted Jesus with gold because of his royalty. He was a child, yes, but he was a king. But not only that, the king of kings. Jesus is the king. This is why the song says, Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king. And the other song says, Hark. The herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. Jesus is the king. Now, in America, we don't have a monarchy. We have a democratic republic, yes? Uh, and we've gotten a lot of uh, exposure of this democratic republic in the last few, few months. Now, what I've realized is that no matter on what side you fall, we've taken our eyes off of the king of kings. And whether your, your heart palpitates for who's in the office now or whether you're at ease, your passions, your desires should not rest in who's, who's leading this nation. But you should find your peace with the king of kings because he is constant and he is never changing. Amen. Now, the next gift mentioned here is in Matthew 10, verse 11, and it is frankincense, frankincense. 
In the book of Exodus, God gives Moses specific instructions regarding the way in which he is to be worshipped. He gives the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. He pronounces a number of different laws in Exodus 21 through 23. In Exodus 25, he gives instructions on the Ark of the Covenant, the table, and the lampstand. 26 and 27, the tabernacle. 28 and 29, instructions for the priests. And in chapter 30, he talks about the altar of incense. Now remember, these are all things having to do with the worship of God. And starting in verse 34, chapter 30, it says this in Exodus. The Lord said to Moses, take sweet spices, stacked, and anica, and galbanum, sweet spices with pure frankincense. Of each there shall be an equal part, and make an incense blended as by the perfumer, seasoned with salt. Here's the point here. Pure and holy. You shall beat some of it very small and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting where I shall meet with you. It shall be most holy for you. And the incense that you shall make according to its composition, you shall not make for yourselves. It shall be for you holy to the Lord. The presence of frankincense and the aroma it released represented the holiness, the set-apartness, the deity of God. So the wise men gifted Jesus with frankincense because of his deity. The wise men gifted Jesus with frankincense because of his deity. Now, if Jesus had come as an earthly king, he would have most likely ruffled some feathers in the government. But the religious elite would probably not have paid him too much attention. What got the Pharisees and Sadducees and the religious rulers riled up was when he said, I and the Father are one. Believe in God, believe also in me. It's when he said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. It's when he said, all that the Father has is mine. It's when he said, truly, truly, or verily, verily, if you're a King James person, right? Verily, verily, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is God. This is why the wise men fell down and worshipped him. They knew that they were not only in the presence of a king, but of God himself. If we look at Isaiah 60, Isaiah prophesies about the future glory of Israel. And this event, this event here, the wise men bringing Jesus gold and frankincense is the fulfillment of that prophecy. It says this in Isaiah 60. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. And here it goes. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. They shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. What's the good news? The good news is that Jesus is the king. The good news is that Jesus is God, God in the flesh. Praise the Lord for that. Isn't that good news? 
Now, even though that is good news, it's not the good news because it's, it's incomplete. What do we call the good news in the New Testament? It's called the gospel. The gospel is incomplete without the myrrh. Remember, the Magi brought Jesus three gifts, gold, which speaks to his royalty, frankincense to his deity, and there's a third gift. The wise men gifted Jesus with myrrh because of his death. The good news is not only that Jesus is the king and that he is God, but also that he died. What is myrrh anyway? What is that? You'll see myrrh all over the Old Testament. Like frankincense, it was a very expensive and, uh, a gift, and it was a, a very fragrant, so that, that was one of its uh, two major uses. It was, it was a perfume. The other use, though, and maybe the primary use of it, was for embalming. So embalming is a process of preserving a dead body. It slows down the decomposition process. So now everyone here has either hosted a baby shower or you've attended one, most likely, right? Raise your hand if you have. If you've hosted, there you go. Almost everybody, right? Okay. So now please tell me, right? I need you to, to tell me this, okay? Please tell me, have you ever seen embalming fluid on the registry? No? Okay, yeah. I, I didn't think so. Okay. So sometimes, you know, some people like to break protocol. They don't look at the registry, right? So it's like registry, schmegistry, right? I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm a great gift giver. I know what you need. I don't need the list, okay? So in those situations, when someone has gotten a gift that wasn't on the registry, has it ever been embalming fluid? No, never. It's never been that. And you've never seen that and probably never will, and I hope not, but that is exactly what the wise men did. They came to celebrate the birth of Jesus with embalming fluid. Mothers, fathers, family members, how would you take that? Are you, are you trying to say that my child is going to die? Are you trying to say that you're going to kill my child? What kind of sick person are you? Now, whether or not the Magi knew what these gifts represented, and I don't think they did necessarily. I think that God just sovereignly aligned things this way. Um, I think as far as they knew, they were probably just bringing precious treasures and gifts to honor the birth of the Messiah. But this was the reality of what Jesus was and what he was to be. He already was the king of all creation but he would be the king of kings. He already was God in the flesh, but he would come to be known as the Lord of lords. He already was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, but he would be the man slain for our sins at Calvary. Now what happened at Calvary? After being beaten and bloodied, and after being made to carry his cross, he's laid out on that cross on the ground and stretched out so that his arm, arms are kind of hanging like this on the ground. So then there's thick, jagged, long nails. They're driven into 
his wrists to secure him to the wood. They stack his feet on top of one another or they put his feet on either side of the wood and they drive these same nails through his feet to secure him there. Can you see him there? Can you see him there? Look at him. If he, if he pulls himself up, the pressure on his wrists is unbearable. But if he sinks down, the pressure on his feet will be excruciating. It's exhausting. He does this for hours, hours. And somewhere along the way, this happens in Mark 15, 23. They offered him wine mixed with myrrh. But he did not take it. So it turns out that myrrh is also used for pain relief. But Jesus refused it because he had to feel every ounce of pain and agony there on the cross because there was no relief or reprieve from the wrath of God. But this wasn't the fulfillment of what the gift of myrrh meant, though. After three hours, about three hours, Jesus finally hung his head and he died. The king, the God-man, he died. And in John 19, it says this. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now, if the story ends there, then it would still not be the good news. Amen? Now, we who believe here are here because after Jesus was buried, he was laid in a tomb, but on the third day, he rose in power, defeating death, fulfilling the righteous requirement of the law, satisfying God's justice and becoming the way for us to be reconciled to God through faith in his life, his death, his burial and resurrection. That moment five years ago today when I asked Charmaine to marry me and gave her the ring as a gift is important. But what's more significant is what has transpired after that. We've built a life together. We have a daughter and another one on the way. We've grown together. We're realizing what that moment represented. In the same way, when the, when the magi or wise men brought Jesus the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, that moment was important. It was. 
But what's more significant is what's transpired after that. Jesus embodied the symbolism of those gifts. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the resurrected Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray that in this season, uh, we don't get caught up, so caught up in the Christmas spirit that we forget that you're coming also came with your death. And that death rescued us, Lord, from an eternity separated from God. Lord, I pray that you would keep this truth ever present in our minds, especially today when we've taken communion. That we remember this each and every single moment of our lives. And that it guides us and that it helps us to walk in obedience and in love and in worship to you. And that our lives can be a sweet aroma to you. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.